Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White, and this is The Science of Motherhood. Hello and welcome to episode 82. I'm your host, Dr. Renee White. Thanks so much for joining me today. We have got a wonderful guest who, my goodness, we've been friends for quite some time and it's really funny because she grew up in Hobart and now resides in, well, she was in Melbourne but has moved to Gippsland and I feel like we've kind of just done a tag team I used to I grew up in Melbourne and now I'm living in Hobart and years ago we connected because we are both doulas and this person was a doula for some time before myself and so she kind of became a little bit of a mentor I would say and then I think the friendship really just blossomed from there and she frequents Tasmania a bit now that um, she no longer lives here, comes over for family. And I think uh, maybe I'm part of her surrogate family now that she, <laughs> our kids hang out and we're constantly in each other's DMs. And it was one of these things that we were talking about and I said to her, I just want to really explore this reason behind why mums find it so difficult to ask for help and she is very well placed (laughs) to speak to this it is none other than Katie Parker she is not just a doula she's also a social worker a parent educator she's a women's circle facilitator and she is a proud mama of two beautiful beautiful children As I said, she now resides in Gippsland where she is just servicing and helping so many parents and families in that area with her support. But as I said, on today's episode, we are exploring why it is so bloody hard for us to ask for help. It is something that we as doulas have to, I guess, help other families navigate. But there's something, you know, if you're a long-time listener, you would have known how difficult it was for me to be asking for help during those early newborn days. There's just something about it, isn't it? It's kind of like that, oh, feeling in your gut and you're like, oh, my goodness. It's because of societal norms, people. (laughs) it's because we put ourselves on pedestals and there's this huge misconception that we are you know superheroes and that we can do it all but in this chat today with Katie we take a really deep dive into the reasons why and then also the practicalities around how we can start to shift that feeling and, and start exploring opportunities for asking for help So I absolutely know that you are going to find this episode so, so valuable. Get your pen and paper. There are so many nuggets of gold in this. It is absolutely wonderful. So without further ado, here is Katie Parker. Hello and welcome to the podcast. It is my very good friend, Katie Parker. (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome Uh, how are you darling what's happening what is news how are you feeling oh I'm really well thank you it's so nice to finally be here um yes yeah it's yeah good to be here it's a freezing cold day here in Gippsland in Victoria but probably sharing that down in Tassie too yes it is well you would know because you are a Tassie girl that it is deceptive because from sitting inside your house, you're like, oh, my goodness, what a beautiful day, the sun's shining. And then you go out and you, like, get a slap across the face. You're like, oh, no, it is crisp as snow on the mountain. Oh, how beautiful. Thing. How beautiful. I know. That's the best part about Tassie, isn't it? It's um, a beautiful winter, unlike mm-hmm. Melbourne. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Now, the, everyone would have heard from the introduction that you are just an amazing person. And I, <laughs> we've been trying to do this interview for quite some time. We've been playing cat and mouse. You are Fill Your Cup's resident mental health expert. And I just wanted to share with listeners what that actually means because I think that's really, really important and also I think speaks to one of the reasons why I love you so much. (laughs) And I was like, when I created this Doula Village, one of the things that was identified very quickly was the fact that obviously you being a doula yourself, you will know this. We take on the emotional load of a lot of mums in our work. And so I was trying to work out a way where we could lighten the load of doulas and provide them with an opportunity for some debriefing because that's really important, but also an opportunity to learn from an expert around um, managing some self-care, learning some language to help clients and having someone to facilitate, you know, case studies and things like that. And I first came across your work very early on when I entered the doula kind of industry and I was mesmerized. I was like, oh my goodness. And we were just saying offline, I'm looking at your qualifications and certifications, Katie, and one would describe you as a high achiever. (laughs) (laughs) Bachelor of Arts, Bachelor of Social Work, Masters of Palliative Care, Accredited Social Worker, NDC or Possums Practitioner, Motherhood Studies Certified Practitioner, perinatal and infant mental health trained practitioner, the list goes on and on. Is there anything that you haven't done that you are wanting to do, Katie? Like, have you got anything else on your list? Oh, my PD to-do list is huge. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. I love it. I love it. Tell the listeners, I guess, who you are, first of all, and I guess this collection of wonderful intersecting qualifications, how is that all speaking to the work and the person that you are at the moment? Mm, Good question. Well, my background is in hospital social work, so that's Mm -hmm. where I came from. So I did that for about 13 years And after the birth of my second child, we were traveling for a year with my partner's work. We were just sort of traveling around Australia and I got into the world of personal development and started listening to podcasts and doing courses and this sort of thing and discovered that year that there were other options uh, Mm. in, in, in life. You didn't have to be a, you know, hospital social worker forever. There were other things. And so that year was all about learning about what my values were and what really lights me up and actually what I what I wanted to be doing. And I happened to stumble across this postpartum doula training, newborn mothers, on, you know, during a Facebook scroll one day. And it was like a calling. Like it wasn't even really a conscious decision. It was just like, oh yep, that's what I need to be doing. And then signed up to the webinar for that, part of Julie Jones's launch for that program, and then jumped straight into the course without really much of a th- of a thought. And yeah, became a postpartum doula shortly after that. And since then, so that was sort of end of 2018. Uh, shortly after that, we moved to a very small town in Gippsland where I started. So I, we were in Melbourne previously. I am Hobart born, but um, yeah. I'd, <laughs> We've I'd, just swapped houses, by the way, everyone. <laughs> we, had, we have. And I was a little bit jealous when I saw you moving to Tassie, my hometown. And so, yeah, so started up this business in this new town where I knew not one single person. Anyway, and it's sort of just gone from strength to strength. So I started off more in the postpartum doula role, doing in-home support and running some workshops and that sort of thing. And then I really felt, uh, yeah, I sort of thought, well, I've got this, I've got this social work qualification, you know, so how can I bring that in? And so it sort of just, it sort of just evolved really organically, really, where I started offering uh, online counselling and that moved to in-person. And then it's just been this quest of, yeah, gaining different skills in lots of different areas. So, you know, I became really interested in women's circles at one stage. And so I've gone off and trained in quite, you know, some different qualifications around running women's circles. Really fascinated. I mean, my my major at 
the University of Tasmania was uh, sociology. So I was really interested in, you know, the sociology of motherhood and came across Dr. Sophie Brock's work. And that's when I dived into, yeah, doing the mother, her motherhood study certification for practitioners. I've actually done that twice now. <laughs> Such <laughs> a rich course. And so, yeah, re- and, I, and I, I think that really has informed my work with mothers, probably most of all, really understanding the social context within which we live mm. and how it's where, like, so much of our, I don't know, our identity as mothers and how we, you know, just live our lives is as a result of social conditioning and, you know, based on the the, so, the social, like the, the culture that we've grown up in. And so I think learning that was so, it was so key in my own journey as a mother, mm-hmm. um, learning about the perfect mother myth and all the shoulds of, you know, perfect motherhood. And it learning all, all of that really helped me drop a lot of the guilt that I carried as a mum, yeah. particularly as a mum in business as well. And so because it was, yeah, it was such a big sort of personal growth journey for me. I just became so passionate, I suppose, about sharing that with the other mums I worked with. So that's how I, you know, went down that path. And then obviously working in the perinatal space, you know, perinatal and infant mental health is such a, you know, huge topic. So, you know, I really wanted to upskill in that area. So that's when I went went down that path and have, have done quite a few different um, courses to, yeah, to, to upskill there. And yeah, like I, my, my work is informed by a lot of different, um, yeah, a lot of different approaches, but yeah, probably that, that the social construct of motherhood, I think probably the most, like I'll always start a session with like, hang on a second, before we jump into what we can do as an individual, um, mm. let's look at the broader social context um, that we live within. I love that. I love the fact that you are able to kind of relinquish some of that guilt as a mum and as a businesswoman because that is such a hard kind of thing to stomach. Um, You know, I had Dr. Rebecca Ray talking about boundaries the other day and just, I guess, you know, once you've let go of that guilt, it's also about protecting your boundaries around that because of the social context that we're in, because of the narratives that have been put into place, particularly with mothers, it's such, to me, it's still like a hard line to navigate on a daily basis because you're dealing with, I think, generations Mm-hmm. prior to you who are just like oh no this is how it always is and you're like oh actually that's not the route that I want to go down thanks yeah, absolutely <laughs> because we do we enter motherhood thinking that there's this set you know there's this set of rules that we need to live according by and um that that's just you know that's just the way things are but I think yeah taking that step back and actually seeing it from a broader you know social and cultural historical perspective can be really really empowering to realize mm. that actually it doesn't have to be done this way and actually we can create our own our own way our own version of motherhood in ways that work with us and that align with our personal values yeah and i guess that is i think a really good segue into the topic that we're going to talk about today because i think there is a lot of a lot of discussion or a lot of, you know, thoughts around the fact that, and I've said this previously, you know, for someone like myself, I was always rewarded, you know, during education, during my career for doing things by myself, for myself, and that is how you climb the ladder. And yes, there's opportunity to work in teams and things like that. But nevertheless, when it comes to something like a promotion or getting a job or whatever, they don't typically say, oh, what's your colleague's CV look like? It's like, what did you do? Mm-hmm. You know, what what are your skill sets? What are what are all the things that you have achieved? And so I have, you know, and I'm a type A personality as well. When it came to motherhood, I thought I could do it all. And I'm not alone in this. I have many, many conversations with people mm-hmm. about this. And a concept that I have kind of you know grappled with for so long and my husband is probably one of the number one things that we um argued about particularly in those early days or even before Eva arrived you know I was pregnant was this concept of the fact that I could not let go and I could not ask for help 
like it was debilitating for me. I was almost paralysed at the concept of letting go and actually asking for help with stuff. And that is what we're going to talk about today. (laughs) And I'm happy to be the guinea pig and I'm happy to talk about my experiences. Um, And we we have been talking about talking about this (laughs) on a podcast because I'm just like, Katie, what is going on? Because I've had so many people on the pod before, you know, talk about boundaries, talk about self-care, talk about building a village, all of those things. But fundamentally, it comes back to asking for help. Why? Just as an overarching, and then we're going to deep dive. Is there like an overarching thing of like why people like myself struggle with asking for help? What the hell is wrong with me? Yeah, well, I mean, I think you touched on it just before when you're talking about, you know, we live in such an individualist culture mm. where we're taught that we, you know, we need to do it all ourselves and that we're always striving to achieve. And so, yes, when we enter motherhood, it's like no wonder, particularly for those of us who've come from careers where, you know, you're always chasing the next promotion or climbing the ladder and it's very much about proving your worth, mm. um, you know, what what you can achieve. So it's no wonder then you know, we, we struggle when, when we hit motherhood. So there's so, it's, I mean, it's so layered. Do you want me to just dive in to start? Dive in. Let's yeah, go yeah. because yeah. <laughs> I, there's so many, I, I think, I think it, it is highly complex. I think it's multifactorial. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could sit here and go, I have an issue with perfectionism, which, you know, is a mask for, you know, just this fear of failure. Mm-hmm. I know that for a start. Thank you, Brene, mm-hmm. Brene Brown. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yep. But talk to us. Talk to us about the things that are going on. Yeah. Well, I'm not just start by sharing my own personal, um, and, and this is more because I'm you know, coming from a mental health practitioner perspective. In my postpartum, I really struggled um, after the birth of both of my babies. And I, rem- I vividly remember the thing that prevented me from reaching out for help was that I was was fear of judgment. Yeah. And I thought that if I go and see another mental health professional, they're gonna think, what the hell? Like you've you've got the skills, you should know what to do. This yeah. is your work, you know? And so from that perspective, that's where I really, yeah, really struggled. Um another reason I really struggled was because it wasn't like I was went down into a hole and stayed into a stayed in the hole. Mm. for a prolonged period oh it was very up and down I'd have you know I'd have some really really low days and I'd you know I self-administered the you know the EPDS Edinburgh, Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale you know I and I was rated so highly and um I was like right okay t- you know tomorrow I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out I'm gonna make an appointment and then like the next time oh, I'm actually feeling okay again now it's oh, yeah, mm. actually, yeah today's an okay day so I was just up and down and up and down and also just didn't have the people around to, to ask yeah. as well. Like, you know, lack, yeah. a lack of family. Uh, we just moved uh, both both times, actually. I had a baby. We just moved house when I was in the late stages uh, of pregnancy. Do not do that, people. No, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> I did so, the same thing. Oh, gosh. So, you know, moving to a new area where I, you know, didn't have, um, you know, a pre-existing village. And it was, a t- it was a time factor as well. And this is something I try and share with potential clients all the time it doesn't matter how you show up to your appointments if you bring your baby w- whatever the situation it is because I was the, the the barrier for me was that I didn't have anyone to look after my son mm-hmm. and this is when I had just had the one child and I was actually this is this is embarrassing to admit but I was embarrassed to say to say my father-in-law or to other people in my life, oh, hey, I'm just booking in to go see a psychologist. Can you look after my son for an hour? Mm. Like it was this, even even as a mental health professional, and this is only like yes. eight years ago, you know, not back in the dark ages or anything, like I was, there was still this 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 shame I had around it. So that I wasn't, you know, that I wasn't coping. So that's my little personal story as to why I found it hard. And I wish I had have known that I could have just taken my baby along to the appointment with me or, yeah. you know, that, you know, that sort of thing. But, um, but yeah, thanks I for think, sharing that. Yeah, that's, that's okay. That's just a little personal insight, but yeah, look, as we said, multi, multi-layered, I think to start with, sometimes as mums, we don't even know what our needs are. Yes. Yes. All the yes to that. 
So, <laughs> I'm just like Pandora's box of mental load. <laughs> yeah. So one is you don't know what your needs are. So that's step number one, really, isn't it? To actually identify what your needs might be. Yeah. And then if because if you can't work out what you need help with, then how are you supposed to ask for it, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. So that would be, yeah, I think that that's a really important point to just identify, first of all, what are my needs? Because so often we are so swamped and drowning in the mental load that we don't have five seconds to even think about what it is that we're needing. Yeah. And it's that classic thing where I, I actually I actually bring this up in our prenatal sessions with family. So I like eyeball the support person, you know, or partner. And I, and they probably think I'm like, I do it in a very comedic way, but I am eyeballing them. And I do say, do not ask what do you need because or or let me know if I can help you because, like, just the concept of having to be in that space to be reflective of what you need and, you know, if there's anything I can do to help, like, that to me is adding fuel to the fire. That's adding stuff to your plate that you don't need. Mm-hmm. Um so yes, that's a great point. Yeah, and I think you know, in the in the midst of exhaustion and sleep deprivation and oh. you know, huge mental load, then yeah, that's that that's really that's really challenging. And I'm I'm the same. Like, so if I'm offering if I'm offering help, it's not just let me know if you need anything. It's I'm going to drop some meals around. Yes, these are the days I can come. Do you have any dietary requirements? Or yeah. Do you like pumpkin and coconut soup? Or, yeah. you know, actually being really specific and I will list out days and times that I can come, let me know which of these days suits you best. Yeah. Uh, and is this, you know, I can cook X, Y or Z or I might be sourcing it from somewhere else. Um, yeah. You know, let me know what, what, yeah. So getting really specific about what it is. So when mm. we're asking for help, similarly, get, getting as specific as possible. Mm. So, you know, and you, I'm sure you do this in your um, prenatal sessions as well, you know, working out what the things that you need the help with are, so the list of things, and then, you know, when you're wanting them, how often you're wanting them, and then the list of who you can ask. So that when it comes to the actual asking of the help, you can be really specific. Uh, and an example, actually, that, that did work for me in my second postpartum period when I was really struggling. And uh, my partner actually suggested this to me. He said, well, you know, let, let's ask dad. Like his, his dad was the, is the only family member we had um, locally at the time. Oh, he was about half an hour away. And so we, we came up with this thing of like, well, I really lo- I'd really like to do this mums and bubs yoga class with my baby. But mm-hmm. I, I, need, I need some care for my son at that point. So, we were really specific with, okay, on a Wednesday morning, can you come and get him? And it, we had we set up this beautiful thing, which I think has really cemented the bond between my son and his grandpa, is that he'd come and he'd pick him up and we and, I, and I, we, we had this little ritual of like packing the pram of like the books and his nappy bag and all the things. He was he was just, just turned two at the time. And grandpa would come and he'd get so excited and, he'd, and we lived about 10 minutes from a train station so he'd, you know, take him up in the pram onto the train, take him onto the train, and that in itself was just, you know, enough to oh, just that was just, yeah, 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 absolute highlight of my son's week. Take him on the train. They went into Campbell Junction. They got off. They went to the same cafe every week and got a baby chino, and they shared a muffin. So you know this <laughs> this, yeah. this routine of like every week, and then they'd come home, and in that time, I was able to, you know, get my daughter, and we'd, we'd go off to this mums and bubs class, um, yoga class, which was just the most beautiful thing ever and my beautiful yoga teacher was pretty much like half yoga teacher half therapist like she yep. was someone that just really held us <laughs> as mums you know and we could we yeah we had permission to fall apart in that class which was wonderful and then you know I come home and but then what I was finding is that oh then I come home and then I've got to get my son down for his nap and with yeah. the baby like it was just it was just becoming so so hard so then I was like okay get brave father-in-law is it okay if you stay a little bit longer and actually put him down to sleep? Because what we found is that if he put him to sleep, he'd go to sleep in 10 minutes. Whereas if I did, you know, it was an hour yeah. and it was running between, you know, baby and him and, you know, it was just mm-hmm. a real struggle. So just getting really specific about what it was that I was needing at that time and, yeah, and being brave enough to ask. And so then it turned into pram, 
down to the train station, on the train, have your baby Gino, come back, they'd have a bit of a play at the park on the mm-hmm. way back and then he'd prepare, he'd come home and prepare my son's lunch for him, give him lunch like I had it all out, you know, like it was yeah. just the same, you know, just that routine of it's the same thing, everyone just knows what to expect and then he'd put him to bed for me and then I could come home with toddler asleep and, oh, my gosh, you know, that was just life-changing. That is game-changer material. Mm. I mm. love that. Okay, be specific. Okay. Yeah. I'm writing this down, Katie, because I think yeah. this is really, this is yeah. this is gold. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think as well. I mean, the the other thing that well, one of the other reasons why we find it so hard to ask for help is, and that this was big for me, was like we associate asking for help with that being a sign that we're not coping, and that's yes. a sign of weakness or failure or in some way that we sh- you know that we should you know coming back to it, the you know the, the social shoulds of you know like the perfect mother myth, like we should really be on top of all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we ask, we should really know all of the things because this is our child. Yes, that's what yes. I grappled with. Yeah, don't you don't you know what to be doing? Like that's what was going on in my head. Yeah, and so you're looking at you're looking around you, and you're saying you you think in your mind everyone else is coping. Yeah, what's what's wrong with me? That mum over there has got three kids. So mm. why am I struggling with only one? Yeah, or, you know, and and so it's this this perceived um, sense of failure, I suppose. If if we can't, you know, if if we associate asking for help with that we're not coping, and what are we making that mean? Well, we're not we're not a good mum, mm. and so then that you know has big implications on our sense of self and our you know identity as a mother. Well, I must be a bad mum if I if I can't cope, and I, you know, if I'm if I need to ask for help, that means I'm not coping. That means I'm a, you know. The story I'm telling myself there is that I'm a bad mom. Yeah. So, and it goes round and round and round again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, and then there's, yeah, there's all the there's all the social conditioning. So that's messages from, you know, that we get from the media, uh, from our own family of origin, friends. And these can be just messages that we've internalised. Like, you know, if we're looking around and seeing, well, everyone else is coping, no one else is asking for help, then, you know, that contributes to, you know, that, that puts up that barrier that we don't, that we don't then want to be perceived as as, as not coping and as being a bad mum. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's little comments as well that you receive that can just all sort of just eat away at you. Have you yes. got an example of that? Your face uh, is like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I'm... I'm not going to talk about specific examples for privacy and confidentiality and, you know, the fact that I'm sure people listen to this podcast, (laughs) my inner circle, but I absolutely, um, I absolutely agree with, with that. There are, and it's, it's such a funny time. I feel like when you're pregnant, I feel like and it probably goes back to boundaries as well. I feel like as soon as you're pregnant, all bets are off. Evidently, everyone can chat to you about um, your body, your baby, how you're going to raise them, you know, all of those things. And then, you know, when the baby arrives, everyone's got an opinion, evidently. Like I've never seen any other facet of life where everyone's got an opinion about how you're doing life. <laughs> until it comes to like raising your own children i find it perplexing it's intense, but there are there are just a few things that you know really stand out and i think it's because you know you would know as as a mother your brain is completely kind of remodeling during that pregnancy phase and so you are more susceptible to environmental factors and when someone says something to you which could be so off the cuff mm-hmm. you know but it digs deep it so digs deep and like there are things that I've like still haunt me or I'm just like I can't believe you said that at all but I, I do want to highlight one thing because it's not a negative <laughs> it's actually a positive but this highlights how how poorly I was at asking for help. I remember there was a um, friend of ours who came over. She had two kids already, so she was a well-seasoned mum. She knew exactly, like, this is the person that I am now. She came over. She had she had a packet of Tim Tams for me because she was like, you need the calories, you're exclusively breastfeeding, like, here you go. 
I probably wouldn't turn up with Tim Tams. Well, I probably would, but I would be like a meal as well. And she's like, I'm not going to stay for long. I just want to know that you're okay. And she would virtually like not sit down. She was just kind of like tidying up around my kitchen. And I remember sitting there with severe anxiety going, oh, my God, what is going on? Why is she tidying up? Like what is going on here? And she's like, before I go, did you want me to do some vacuuming? And my brain exploded. Because I thought, I instantly thought to myself, oh my God, she thinks that my house is untidy and that I haven't got my shit together. And that, you know, again, I'm a shit mum, I'm a shit wife, I can't keep a house in order. I've been here all day, all week, you know, whatever. Oh my God, she's like completely shaming me. And I remember Grayson wasn't there. He was at work and he came home and he was like, how was your day? And I was like, you will not believe what happened. And he was like, she's only trying to help. And I was like, she's not helping. <laughs> she, I, I know the house is a mess. And he's like, did you let her vacuum then? And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> and now I'm just like, oh, my God, why didn't I let her vacuum? Because that would have been so nice to have a vacuumed house. Yes. Oh my God, Katie. Oh, that's such, a good, that's such a good example. I, I've got two really standout examples of a sort of similar thing, but were, were, were really positive. And one was when I first had my first child. So I was, you know, very fresh as a mum, like a few weeks in. And it was a, a friend who wasn't even a close, like she was a, she was a work colleague. She was someone who, um, from, from work and, and she came around again, seasoned mum, had two older mm-hmm. kids. And she sits down on the couch and she's, how are you? And I'm, oh, yeah, oh, good. And she looked, she sat me down and she looked me right in the eye. She said, how are you really? Oh, and then, no. <laughs> and the tears were flowing. Oh, I'm so tired. I was just like, I'm so tired. And anyway, I, was, I think I was feeding my baby at the time. Anyway, so she, and look, this won't be for everyone either because I have told this story. Yeah. Other people have gone, oh, I wouldn't have let her do this, but for me, this was just what I needed in the moment. I finished feeding my baby. You know, we changed his nappy. We wrapped him up. She popped him into the pram. For some miracle, he actually did glide in the pram. Usually I had to have him in the carrier. But anyway, um, and she said, right, lie down. I'm taking him for a walk. <gasps> and she said, I'll be back in an hour. And that's what happened. I lay down. I did actually manage to get some rest. Wow. And she came back, you know, an hour. And then, you know, I got, I, you know, I had baby back and she had brought, she, and she, she said, I'm not a cook, like this is not my strong point. I'm not going to bring you lots of homemade meals, but she brought some, you know, some soups that she brought from the supermarket and I just sat there while she heated up these soups in the microwave, oh such a small God. little thing, right? And I just couldn't just couldn't believe it that, uh, you know, someone was making me this lunch. I didn't care what it was. It was just, yeah, amazing. So that was one experience and then another one was actually after I had my second child, again, run in a different Different part of Melbourne, different work colleague, actually, another season mum. And I remember one day I got a text message and she said, um, I've just dropped something off at the the doorstep, on your doorstep. And um, it was was sort of like in the middle of like sort of dinner time. And I went out and I checked and there was this card. Oh, what was it? And she said, she said, because being a mum of two is fucking hard, here's a lasagna. There was a lasagna that she had there ready for us to put in the oven. Oh my god, I love that. Make some cookies or something as well. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And I was just again just like so touched. Like, you know, there's there's seemingly such small gestures, but just for anyone who's listening who has have, you know, yeah, new mum friends, then just you know, it doesn't it doesn't take much, does it, to and I will never forget those two things and those two those two friends. Yeah. That, and that's, I think that's a really good point that you raise. You know, we see on social media and like I do it. I love cooking. So I cook a lot of food for, you know, other people. I'm European. This is, <laughs> this is how I, sh- I assume I love. But like, if you don't like cooking or if cooking's not your thing, it doesn't matter. Like, go, <laughs> like, Uber eats something to a friend or, you know, gets a Woolies. Thing delivered to someone's house like you can get woolies delivered to anyone's house and you know there's ready-made meals as you say soup lasagna like whatever that looks like yeah it's totally totally particularly for those people who really you know who's your friend and they really struggle like me mm-hmm. um to you know take help 
mm-hmm. just you know without obviously crossing boundaries and things like that <laughs> yeah but another another friend actually she she doesn't have children and she came and she said now I've been told that what you do for a new mum is you know you need to she said, so what can I choose said so what can I do washing washing up the dishes <laughs> and she's like you've just got to give me a job so I'm like okay He's a, you know, he's a basket of laundry. I'd love that. <laughs> Thanks very much. Um, yeah. Like, it's just those little those little things. Or I remember going over to a friend, this is after I'd become a mum, because, oh, you know, when you have your own kids and you, oh, my gosh, the guilt around what I didn't do for my, because I was, you know, I had um, my babies later into my 30s and so most of my friends had had kids by this stage and then, oh, gosh, the guilt around what I didn't do for them, what I didn't know, you know, turning up with the, very cute pure baby onesie or you know whatever it was I'm like oh my gosh what was I (laughs) (laughs) if only I knew then what I know now um Uh, yeah so just but like it it doesn't that doesn't matter I think everyone has that like I definitely did yeah I was like oh my god why did I stay so long at that person's house like (laughs) oh my god they must have been so so exhausted sorry you go (laughs) yeah I I was gonna say um you finish because I, I, I want to talk about something specific about like our our cultures and I guess the way that we're shaped as individuals. Yeah, you go. I want to talk about because obviously we we step into parenthood, you know, with particular preconceived thoughts and identities and it is often shaped in the way that we were raised as children. For those who I guess are you know, weren't brought up in those kind of environments where asking for help is a priority, like how do you work through that? And I think maybe also it's challenging because more often than not you're asking on like your parents, like that's probably your first port of call. What happens if you have an estranged relationship with you know, your parents or you, like, you haven't seen that modelled? Like, what do you do with that? Like, how, how does how does that start? Yeah, I, I love that you raised that. And I think it's really important. This is what I, I will ask clients all the time. Like, what are your childhood imprints around self-care um, and, and motherhood and asking for help? Because the I would say the vast majority of mothers that I work with uh, will share with me that their mother uh, was very much, um, you know, the self-sacrificial mother. Mm-hmm. So everybody else's needs came above hers. And, yeah, or, you know, it, she, she'd be lucky if she did any, you know, if she did anything for herself sort of thing. So because that's, yeah, that's the the imprinting that so many of these mothers have gone into motherhood with themselves, it does make it really hard. And so I will ask people, like, first of all, we look, okay, what's 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 your imprinting around self-care? What what did you see modelled? Uh, what's your imprinting around asking for help? What did you what did you see modelled? And so we'll really unpack and, re- and and acknowledge that so much of our own, you know, the stories that we carry around asking for help and looking after ourselves uh, are based on what we saw, what we saw growing up. So I think even just identifying that that's not truth, that, you know, a mother doesn't have to put everybody else's needs above her own. That's not a fact. That's an imprint that you've brought, you know, that you've been brought up with. So I think just identifying it as a, as a starting place is really, is really helpful. And then identifying, well, what, well, how do you want, you know, how do you want this to look? And I think one, one really powerful question you can ask a mother is what role model do you want to set for your children? So if you have a daughter, do you want your daughter growing up to believe that mothers always, but mothers' needs are non-existent or, you know, are at the bottom of the heap? Is that how you want your your daughter growing up and going into motherhood herself? Um, or similarly, you know, if for your for your for your son, um, if if they're gonna be growing up and if they're gonna be in a relationship with a woman and they're Gonna, if, if they're going into that relationship with the uh, with the imprinting around, you know, if, if you've been doing everything for everyone else and not for anyone else, then then how is that? You know, how's your son going to enter that relationship? Um, mm. And I think actually, and this is something that's come up in my own relationship because my partner 
when he was younger, I think he was around 10 or 12 at the time, and he was living overseas with his parents. And his mum actually came back to Australia for six months to do her master's degree or to finish it off or something. And so she, so he lived with his dad for six, for six, I think it was six months. And so, you know, what's that role modelling to him, you know, that mm. his mum has needs, that she has dreams and goals and aspirations in her life that she prioritised. And so, he, you know, for those six months, he did just live with, you know, with his dad. And so, and I think because so many people ask me, because my partner is very, like, we're very, very much equal if, if he would be he would do more around the house probably than I do in terms of domestic labor uh extremely like involved in the parenting and you know I, I go away for weekends without even a second thought sort of thing um just knowing you know I don't prepare anything before I go for him he just I just know that he he's got it right he will he'll yeah feed, he'll feed the children he'll yeah, take them everyone will the stay alive yeah <laughs> like it's not even a thought that enters my mind as I know so many other moms you know if they, if they do dare to go away for a night you know like the organization that goes into yes. that and it's just never been a thing for me where um or so the first time I asked him to do that it was a thing for me but you know once we've established that that's that's okay I also have needs and I'm allowed to go away and um meet my own needs you know that that's never really been a thing and I think I think, you know, looking back into our own childhoods can give us so many clues around why we are the way we are. And, yeah, without a doubt, I'd say, you know, nine out of ten times, if not more, you know, a mother who struggles to meet her own needs and prioritise her own self-care, that's because that's what was modelled to her as a child. So oh, yeah. Yeah. So just, um, yeah, unpacking that, asking those questions and also asking well, what, you know, putting, like, blocking out all the societal shoulds and all the noise Blocking everything else out. What do you What do you want from your motherhood? You know, what role model do you want to be setting for your children? How do you want to live your life? Do you want to be that martyr that is, you know, flops into bed at the end of you know every night, absolutely exhausted, with nothing you know left in the tank, or you know, at, at, or that loses it with her children all the time because you're so exhausted and stressed and overwhelmed with all of the to-do list. Yes. Is that, is that how you want to live your life? Yeah. So, Absolutely. That has just made me think and I'm going to find it. I saw this thing on, where is it? It's on Instagram. It's um, She's from the UK. Um, her... She was a journalist. She's got the handle Mother Pucker. <laughs> You've probably seen her, but she's, she um, sent this um, Instagram post around and it says there is an entire generation of women who are drowning because they were raised with traditional gender roles while being empowered to be independent. These women still take on the majority of house duties while simultaneously killing it in the workplace. They are tired. Mm-hmm. Like, mm, <laughs> to me, on. just exactly, it just like nails everything. It's just like those expectations, and also, you know, if you don't, if you don't outsource, if you don't lean on people around you, shit gets tiring real quick. Like, you know, I've spoken about this with you, like this concept of the fact that I want to do more and the reason why that we moved to Tasmania is that we've got family and friends close by and so I'm going to lean on them, you know. The fact that I've taken on some additional part-time work, I had to put my big girl pants on and I've been practising because I think that's another thing. Like it doesn't happen overnight. I've been practising asking for help for the past, you know, 18 months and I'm getting better and better at it. But I've had to outsource. That's what, that's what I call it. I'm just like, you know what? If I want to go away on weekends or if I want to do additional work or personal development or, you know, self-care time and things like that, I'm going to need other people to help me be a better mum. And that is all about asking for help. And sometimes, like, you just got to suck up, you know, your pride and just get on with it. Because mm-hmm. how much better is life when you, as you say, you know, that time when you were like, I get to go to mums and bubs, you know, yoga, you came home and like, how good did it feel? Mm-hmm. And people want to help, right? That's it. That was another thing I wanted to share is that we're so reluctant to ask for help sometimes because we feel we're going to be a burden on other people. 
And look, to a certain extent, yes, everyone's everyone's busy, everyone's overwhelmed, everyone's burnt out at the moment. Like I really want to acknowledge that as well. And mm-hmm. so then it can feel really hard reaching out for help. I had this example last week where I reached out for help. I was unwell, reached out to a friend to ask um, her to pick up my kids from school. And she'd had an absolute shit of a day herself and was juggling yeah. a sick child and, re- you know, rescheduling work, you know. Blah, 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 blah. So I also want to acknowledge that sometimes that can, it, it can be a barrier to asking for help because you don't want to add to other people's loads already, yeah. you know, heavy loads. So, but then how can you find a win-win? So looking at ways, for example, um, we, we're not doing it this year, but last year a friend and I, uh, we, ha- we got into this arrangement where she would pick up my kids from school once a week. Sorry, once a fortnight, every Tuesday every Tuesday once a fortnight, she'd take them back to her house and she would cook the dinner and I would turn up at sort of 5, 5.30 with dinner cooked because, you know, because she, she had the time because all the kids were playing together. Yes. They were occupied. Yeah. You know, we had the village vibes going on there with all the yep. kids. Yeah, love it, love it. <laughs> she got the dinner cooked. I come and I would have got that additional sort of, you know, couple of hours in my afternoon to either book in for a float or, let's be honest, mainly it was working. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> take the dog for a walk or whatever it was, you know, I got those extra couple of hours of fortnight. And then, you know, the next week roles would revert, be reversed and then I'd get the kids and I'd uh, I'd have the dinner prepared. And we we got into this thing where, like, you know, when they came to me it was like taco Tuesdays. And so once a, fr- you know, once a fortnight we'd all have tacos and the kids loved it and they all got so excited about taco Tuesdays. And then when they went to her place they'd, you know, they'd make their own pizzas or something. And, you know, it becomes this really, yeah, back, back to that sort of like that ritual of, you know, this is what we do on Tuesdays. And because I don't have, I don't have, we moved to Warragul in Gippsland. We don't have any family anywhere near. Mm. And so it was really, when I moved here, you know, coincidentally, I had just finished my postpartum doula training. And so I was, you know, building my village was very much at the front of my mind. And so I was like, well, we don't have family. How else are we going to build this village? And so I had to get really proactive uh, in, in and creative in how that was going to look. And so that's, you know, that's one option. Um, finding a high school student who was happy to, this is this was when my kids were little, uh, but, you know, after, so I had them home with me full time. They did go into daycare one day a week, but otherwise they were with me full time. So had this high school student one day after school, she'd just come over for like two hours, two or three hours, and she'd look after them in, you know, in my home or, you know, we lived across the road from a park. She'd take them over to the park or something. And I, that was in the beginning stages of when I was just building my business. So and then I would hop over to the library, which also was also across the road, and you and I'll just smash out two hours of work. And you know, that's how, you know, that's how that looked like in that, in that season of life. Or, you know, other things I've organized have been um clothes clothes swaps. I've organized oh, yes. that with, you know, with friends. And that's just another way of, you know, all, you know, it's like the village is all around for, you know, for the morning and we all bring our clothes. And obviously there's really amazing environmental impacts that, that has as well in terms of uh, just you know, swapping clothes rather than buying new all the time, and obviously the community connection. And you know, I was new to town, so I pretty much just invited everyone that I knew from playgroup and said, right, everyone else invite all your friends. So that was a way for me to you know build my social networks in town as well. Or you know, we've also organised meal you know meal swaps and potluck dinners and and these sorts of things. So there's there's lots of ways we can we can do it. Um, and I think yeah, those those days where I mean, I don't have the little kids at home anymore. Like my, both of mine are at school now. But those days when you're home with a baby and a toddler are really mm. super long days. So if you can just pick, and I've had clients, I've suggested this to clients and they've done it and it's worked really beautifully. Just pick one day, whether it's one day a month, whether it's one day a week, whatever it is, just name it that it's like, okay, Tuesday mornings, everyone come over to my place. We're all cooking soup. Bring a vegetable. We're all going to, you know, we're all going to, cook a soup and then at the end of the, you know, end of the few hours together, you, you'll have dinner to take home for that night. Uh, and, you know, how many benefits does that have? <laughs> oh, my God. The social connection that, you know, building your kids' village as well because, we, you know, we yes. just don't live in that society where we've got all, the, you know, the aunties and the uncles and the, the, the community around us anymore. So I, I love anything like that where I can, um, you know, where my kids get to, Form deeper connections with other adults. Um, yeah, because just because they haven't, they have, there's an absence. We, both my mum and my mother-in-law have, have died, so they just and my dad's in Tassie. You know, my father-in-law's in Melbourne. We don't have those 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 relationships close by. So it's looking for other other ways mm. of, yeah, of building. I, I absolutely love that, and that is 
one of the reasons that we moved to Tassie because we had very, very close friends here and they've all got children around the same age as Eva and we knew that she was going to be an only child. So we were kind of like, well, welcome to your surrogate family. And as you say, you know, and I, you know, Eva's five and a half now and I am already planting the seed with her in the sense that I've said to her, there's going to come a time when you are older or even now that you might have something that you can't or you don't want to talk to me about, you know, because it's that kind of like, oh, God, I don't want to tell mum or I don't want to talk to mum. But she will probably feel more comfortable talking with one of my closest girlfriends, you know, about something or, you know, whatever that looks like. And so, as you say, like, it's so important, I think, for our children to have aunties, blood-related or not, around them because I'm just like the more that she can learn from other people, because we have one parenting style, but I know other people have different parenting Mm. styles and things like that, the better. Before we jump into the rapid fire, because we are coming up to time. I knew we would run out of time before topics. I want to ask, because, you know, we do we do see this and probably like the stereotypical situation is like from older generations. But for people who may have tried to ask for help or they've expressed that they're not doing well and someone has just said, you know, a classic comment of like, well, you're the one who wanted this child, Mm. so you're going to have to deal with it. Like, oh, you know, you've made your bed, so now you have to lie in it. Those, you know, very non-helpful comments. And so perhaps, you know, they've been, I guess, scarred from those experiences and then they're just like, okay, well, you know, they said that I have to do this by myself. And perhaps they're listening to this thinking maybe I don't like where where would you start with that you know it's hard it is so hard and again so much of what I'm saying I want to acknowledge that you know I'm very well practiced at all of this like this doesn't this does take practice like you were saying before you know so I just really want to acknowledge that yeah that is a really hard situation what I would say is as much as possible to not personalize that it's that's not about you uh, that's clearly their own wounding, I would say, in that sort of situation. Uh, I, I have a lot of clients that share, you know, it's, it's that they receive these comments from their mums, from their mother-in-laws, people who you would expect to probably, you know, be, be, be asking for help from. Uh, so just really acknowledging that this is their stuff, not to take it personally and maybe just coming to a, a place of acceptance that, that that's not the person you go to for help. And that, okay, I mean, like for, for example, for me, like I don't have the option to ask a, a mum or a mother-in-law. We don't have them around. So, you know, other people might have a situation where, yeah, they have toxic mothers or mother-in-laws around or, you know, that, you know for, for whatever reason or they're estranged from them or, you know, that they, they say really unhelpful, unsupportive comments like that. So just going, okay, that's not an option for me. Like that's that's a person that's not going to be providing me with any support uh, and and, and, and looking elsewhere, thinking, okay, how, how else can I get this support that I need, if not from, from that person I might have been expecting it from. But really, really just, um, I suppose, having that firm sense of, like, of, of worthiness, that mm. that you are you are worthy of the help, even if that person doesn't think you are or doesn't see it that way or didn't receive the help themselves and so has grown into being bitter and resentful and, you know, is projecting all of their stuff onto you, but you are worthy of, you you are worthy of help and support. And so when we can embody that and really um, take that belief system on, then I think that's, that, that can be really game changing. Yeah. And then it makes it, it makes it easier. I think I, it's so true. Just having that self worth and, um, I think you then surround yourself. It becomes a bit, to me, it becomes a bit clearer than who you can lean on as well. Like once you kind of, as you were saying at the beginning, like, you know, you tune into your values and what it is that you want motherhood to look like and what you would envisage for your children to kind of have as lessons learned. Mm -hmm. That I think 
organically would then influence the people that you surround yourself with. Mm. Um, yeah, and also, just align better. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I think when you, when you become a mum, gosh, doesn't that become clear? Oh yeah. God. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, and also I think maybe accepting the fact that your relationships with people are going to change. Mm-hmm. Some people will slip out of your life and other people may surprise you as well mm-hmm. by coming to the forefront. I, I definitely found that. And I don't think I'm alone in, mm-hmm. in saying that Yeah, either. No. Yeah. Some people really shocked me. Like I was like, oh, wow, you actually do really get this. Yeah. Yeah, it can go both ways, kind of. It can. Mm. All right, let's do this rapid fire, Katie. What is your top tip for mamas to be? Oh, gosh. Well, there's obviously so many, but because we're (laughs) here talking about asking for help, I'll make it asking for help related. (laughs) I think, first of all, just identifying what your needs are and then recognising that you have needs also a really good starting point there yes um and then looking at okay who in my so when you when you've worked out what your needs are look looking at what what needs can I meet myself and what needs might, might I need some support with and so then identifying okay who in my support network could I ask for support from and this and I just, again I want to come and I know I've said it before but I really want to stress that this is really hard when you feel like you're drowning in motherhood yes so to get the space, and this is why like, I, I offer, you know, just one-off self-care, like sort of self-care planning sessions where, where this is the sort of stuff we go through of just like just give yourself an hour to sit down with me or whoever it is or with yourself and your journal or your partner if you've got one or whoever it is and just map it, like make a plan. What is it that I'm needing help with? Who can I call on? And and then take that take that step. Of content of contacting that person, putting it out there. Like I remember, I had been meaning to for days and days and weeks and weeks and months and months to reach out to this friend, you know, with my idea of like the Tuesday swap thing. And finally, I just you know created the five minutes to sit down and put it all in a text <laughs> and said, "What do you know?" Set it off. Like, what do you think? Like, if you can just create that that little bit of space, um, then yeah, doing that. And then you know, if if you if that all works out and you've got you and you've, and you've got the help that you're needing or you've done the swap or whatever it is like celebrate that as well yeah because this is hard in our culture this is really hard stuff so celebrate celebrate the wins and and surround yourself like seek like-minded you know people in your life that who who you know have who share similar values and also are looking for you know to to build their village too i love that I'm always on the lookout for I'm like, who wants to co-parent? Yeah. <laughs> who wants to co-parent with me? I think I threw it up on Instagram the other day and you, you were one of the first people. It was like a reel on a, a woman who was like, I live in a commune now and with all my friends and this is where we are because life is so much easier. And I was like, that is, can you imagine? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? Like similar to, you know, your dinner swap every Tuesday. Can you imagine? only ever having to like make dinner like once a month mm. what that would look like. <gasps> yeah and even um, inviting people around like just to do the hard shit like whether it's the washing or or just you know in that I remember being in that you know having the two under two being in that period with the baby and the toddler was really really freaking hard but even just and I, but I, I was fortunate to have some other friends who lived semi-locally who were also in the same boat you know had the baby and the toddler so just having them over and like, yeah, I didn't, you know, it wasn't about cleaning, you know, worried about the state of the house. Just it was just having that company. Um, that and the toddlers did occupy themselves a bit, and generally there was only one baby screaming at a time. And yeah. or, you know, like <laughs> it just makes it so much easier when there's more, you know, the more yes. um, adults yes. that there are. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Every single time my husband goes away, there is always a message distributed. I'm like Right, who's co-parenting with me this weekend? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I'm happy to, I'm happy to cook. You guys bring the snacks, and you know we just work through it. Everything is easier. I'm like safety in numbers, people. Safety in numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, do you have like a go-to resource? Are there any like workshops, books, um, anything like that that you absolutely love for this kind of area? Oh, um, oh gosh, uh, so many, so many. <laughs> I'm 
putting you on the spot with these. Do you know what? I knew I knew you had these questions and I, I, I obviously forgot to prepare for them. Um, <laughs> you can take a moment. It's okay. I was just like, okay, a book that mm-hmm. I absolutely am loving for all of, all of this is Life After Birth. Yes. Our beautiful friends. Yeah. Okay. And so our last question, which we ask all of our guests, and I've poached it from Brene Brown. <laughs> is what do you keep on your bedside table? Okay. Well, currently I have a pink heart-shaped rose quartz, like rose quartz heart-shaped crystal mm-hmm. that I was gifted. This is really special. And I, I, the reason it's there is because I lost it for a really long period of time and during a recent study oh. declutter I found it again. So I was pretty Oh, wow. So now it's it's taken place on my bedside table. And it was I, I had a um I had a miscarriage in 2020 just before we went into lockdown and I was actually at Seven Sisters Festival um, mm. at that at that time. And after I'd had this miscarriage, I was shopping around little stalls looking for something like a little memento or something to remember um, this whole experience by. And I walked into this stall and I I started crying and I shared with this lady. I'm like, I'm looking for. You know, it's total what I was looking for, and she just said, "Wait here, dear." And she went behind, and she came back with this beautiful, this beautiful, yeah, rose quartz heart. So that's been oh. my little memento that I carry around to remember that that baby. So that is sitting there. Um, I also have, oh my gosh, the hugest pile of books. <laughs> um, Don't hugest. we all? Oh. It's, I it's, have kids' books as well as all my fiction and nonfiction as well. Oh, it's 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 become an addiction. It's it has. Um, is this? Oh, is there one book on there that you're hoping to like really get stuck into? So, well, well, the one I'm reading at the moment is Digital Minimalism. Okay. So I had a social media break, a complete social media break for two months over the summer, and it's been an ongoing. And then since coming back onto social media, yeah, the, the bad habits I've. Sort of gone back to them, so um, yeah, I'm reading that at the moment. Um, I'm planning another another extended break from social media over the winter months. So, yeah, reading that for inspiration at the moment. I love your concept, and we've spoken about this that we're that you're going to hibernate for the winter. I'm trying, but <laughs> I've just got to put a few things into place first. <laughs> yeah, there, there is the sort of like the mad dash of like all the things you have yeah. to do <laughs> to be able to enable yourself to go into hibernation. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's hard work. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. As I said at the beginning, I've been wanting to have someone on the podcast because it's it's a topic that just keeps coming up. And I'm like, yeah, we can all talk about, you know, how we're supposed to do all of this stuff. But there is this giant big elephant in the room, which is, hmm. I find it very uncomfortable and difficult and because of my, you know, childhood imprint, I can't ask for help. Why do I find this so paralyzing? So it's so lovely to have you on talking about all of this and, you know, giving us some real life tangible, I think, kind of action plans as to how we can put this into play. And as you said, like, it's practice, practice, practice. This stuff doesn't come straight away and nor mm. should it, I think. Like it's it is because you've got to work out what it is that you want, you know, right? Yeah. And the other thing that I don't think I mentioned was that the more we do this, the more we role model this to other people and the more yeah. that is giving permission to others to also ask for help. So, I, that's, so that's something so I keep coming back to to remind myself of that, when I'm asking others for help, that's showing them what this looks like. That's yeah. providing a blueprint, you know, of okay, this is how this is how we do it. Yeah, and it becomes it, it becomes so much easier. Maybe for them, they're like, oh, that's okay. Like, yeah, I can totally do that. And then the next time they need help, there's just that less pressure, I think, mm-hmm. um, on yourselves. Thank you so much for coming on. I Thanks really, so really appreciate it. We're going to have all of those great resources in the show links to your website. Where can people find you on social media? And yeah, well, so they won't be able to find you on social media over the winter, Katie. I know. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I will be on Instagram for a short time longer and then I'll, I'll be having a little hibernation period. But my Instagram handle is, well, I've got two actually, we're at Katie Parker Parenting, which is all the pregnancy, postpartum, motherhood, parenting related stuff. And then I have a separate account because I also uh, support mums in business. 
and provide yes. mentorship around that. So, um, I've, so that account is Katie Parker Business. So, and I do have that retreat for Mums in Business coming up in Gippsland in August. So, yeah, you can find me over at Katie Parker Business on Instagram, also on Facebook, less so on there at the moment. And my website is katieparker.com.au. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. See you next time. Thanks. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services, including our postpartum in-home care and our Fill Your Freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.